How many of you have thrown up lately? Come on, let me see hands. Come on. You know, vomited, tossed your cookies, tetanicolor yawn, whatever. Oh. You know, a couple a couple months ago, um, I was playing hoops, and uh, I got dressed and got ready, and I grabbed all my gear, headed out the door. And I bought, it's called uh, Gatorade, the G2. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I thought, okay, I'll give that a try. And I really had visions of a pro career that night. I mean, seriously. I stayed on the court most of the night. I did not have a very good game. In fact, I I kind of uh, didn't feel up to par. And wasn't feeling too good. And so by the time it was over, I really wasn't feeling well. And I, I headed home. And when I got home... I'm really not feeling good at this point. And so I got in, took a cool shower. That kind of helped. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm getting, getting better. But by the time I got dressed and stumbled into the couch, exhausted, I started feeling worse. I mean, way worse. I went from sitting to laying down on the couch. And I'm, I'm sweating. And I'm getting more nauseous. And then I asked Cindy, I said, honey, could, could you get me a Ziploc bag and some ice? And I got one of those looks like, you're an idiot. And um, so she gave me, gave me the look. She went and got it. She goes, you're getting too old, which that one kind of drives me crazy. But I kept getting worse. And so I'm, I'm holding the ice on my neck, putting it on my head, and... Do you know when you get to that moment, you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's that moment, and you, you think, this is it. And uh, I was kind of like Hussein Bolt heading to the bathroom. I'm fighting to hold it back, and let's just say I spent the next half hour laying on the floor, and G2 does not taste good the second time, all right? And some of you are thinking, that's just sick. Damon's back. <laughs> I, I know it's nasty. But sometimes the only thing you can do is throw up. Now, aren't you glad you're here this morning? <laughs> Gives you something to talk about lunch. Now, that's sick, right? <laughs> the, the Lord said, These people come to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Isaiah is speaking for God. They they talk about God, but their hearts and their actions don't sync up. And I'm thinking, although that word was written and delivered about the late 8th century B.C., It was directed toward a nation of Israel that was wandering away from God. But friends, I believe that it's speaking to the church today. People who say they believe in God, but live as though he doesn't exist. I was reading a recent Gallup poll that said 94% of Americans claim to believe in God or a higher power. Yet, a quick assessment of our society, I can tell you without much work, 
that 94% do not live like God exists. People believe in God. They give lip service to it. But that's about it. In fact, there seems to be kind of an undercurrent in our society that it's okay to believe in God. In in our part of the world, it's acceptable. But the undercurrent is, don't go overboard. And it's more important to blend in. And that's what I want to talk to today. I want to talk to people who say they believe in God, but live like God doesn't exist. You know, the book of Revelations, the third chapter, Jesus is speaking to seven different churches. And six of the churches, he starts out and says something very affirming to those churches. And then he talks to them about some things that they need to change, some things that need to be corrected in their their church and in their walk with Christ. But one of the churches... He cuts straight to the chase, and he just calls them out. You know, the church and the people of uh, Laodicea, he uh, speaking to them. This is a, a church that was located in a phenomenally wealthy city. In fact, 35 years before these words were written, that city had been brought to the ground. They had a major earthquake. It destroyed the entire city. And because of their wealth and because of their their influence, they were able to rebuild their city. And it was extravagant. It's almost like we have today. You know, they, they had these huge theaters. They had spectacular stadiums. They had public baths. They had fancy shopping centers, maybe some of the first malls in history. And they had this society that just sucked you in. There were so many things that that people could do, and they did. They just started enjoying everything, and they forgot about God. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or or the other. Jesus says, I I know your deeds. I, I know what you're living. You know, he's not saying, here's what you claim to believe or here's the words you speak. He says, deeds, actions, the the visible outward life is what he's speaking to. And Jesus says, when I I look at that, I know you claim to believe in me, but I don't see it. I don't see it in your life. You're, You're not cold. I mean, you're not turned off to me. But you're not hot. You're, you're not on fire. You're just kind of there, kind of middle of the road. And it's interesting if you study uh, this city and you study their, their history, they had no local water supply in the city. In fact, they shipped in water from two different places via the aqueducts back then. And one of the areas that they brought in water was from... And it it was the hot springs that they piped in the water. And so the water would travel all that way for miles and miles and miles. 
And by the time it reached the city, the water had cooled down. It, it was lukewarm. Their other source came from Colossae. And by the time it reached them, it was, it was cold, cool river water that was spring-fed. And by the time it got to them, it had warmed up over the miles that it traveled, and it was lukewarm. I also know from that city that they had that giant festival every year. And it was a big show for God. And they served two types of drinks. You want to guess what it was? Hot and cold. Now, hot milk in the evening is good. True? How many of you drink, ever have a glass of hot milk? Hot cocoa, you know. That's good. A cold glass of milk is good. It's great in the morning. Anybody ever ask for lukewarm milk? Huh? Yeah, I'd like a glass of milk. Maybe it's been sitting around all day, kind of room temperature. And I'm thinking, that wants to, that's the kind of thing I want to go, you know, makes me want to throw up. And that's kind of the point that Jesus is making here. You know, people that would attend that festival, the important people, got hot drinks or cold drinks. But the rest of the people, by the time they had waited in line, because they weren't important, they didn't get to go to the front of the line, by the time they got their drink, the cold drinks had warmed up, the hot drinks had cooled down, the drinks were nasty, and it was considered an insult to get a lukewarm drink. But lots of people got them. And that's what Jesus is pressing here. He says, because So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The Greek there, emeho, is uh, to spit, to uh, vomit, literally. And Jesus is saying, so you know who I am, but you're living like I don't exist. And I can't stomach it. And it makes me want to hurl. It's making me sick. And I can almost imagine Jesus looking at some of Christianity today and saying, you know who I am. You know that I gave up my son's life so you could overcome the penalty of sin. So you could have eternal life. So that you could live the abundant life. The best of life. And you think squeezing me into your schedule once in a while is going to satisfy me? That kind of living makes me want to puke. You say you believe in me. I mean, you're saying it. But you're living like I don't exist. And I can't stomach it. How many of you know what an oxymoron is? You know, it's when you take two words that are opposites and and you put them together, like uh, jumbo shrimp, you know, deafening silence. It's like that in here right now. Some people would say government efficiency would be an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron, lukewarm Christian. I mean, what's a, what's a lukewarm Christian? You know, to be a Christian, 
a disciple of Jesus Christ literally means to die to ourselves and live totally to God. To, to be half-hearted, to give just a little bit of who we are to the one that gave it all, to claim to believe in the one that gave everything for us and to live like he doesn't exist, that's lukewarm Christian. Now, Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, which I'd recommend a good, good read, it talks about how do you identify lukewarm Christian? And I'm using a couple of his points, and I've got a bunch of mine, but I want to talk about what does a lukewarm Christian look like? And I want to give you ten qualities real quick. One, lukewarm Christians crave the acceptance from people more than the acceptance from God. In other words, lukewarm Christians want to blend in. They don't want to cause any waves. Lukewarm Christians want people to like them. In fact, they don't want to be seen as fanatics. Why? Because people might not like them if you're too on fire for God. And so instead of doing what God would want, the tendency is to conform. So we can fit in, so that the reality of our lives is that it's more important for people to like us than it is to be who God wants us to be. You know, Paul, I think, warns on this front, Romans 12, 2, when he says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't do it. You know, lukewarm Christians not only uh, uh, prize people's uh, thoughts over God's thoughts, but they rarely, if ever, share their faith. You know, this one kind of stands to reason for me that the bottom line, you know, people say, I just don't share my faith. The bottom line, under the undercurrent, what's really at the base is that we do not believe that Jesus Christ is necessary for salvation. And that would explain the lukewarmness, that we go, hmm, it's not a big deal. And so what happens when, when a person dies, kind of the mindset is, hope they were good enough. You know, Joe, Joe was a good guy. I've got to believe he's in heaven now because he was so good. And the reality is we do not believe in the power and the works of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And friends, if that's what you believe, if that's what you've come to terms with, then you don't have to bother sharing your faith because it's really not that important. And you don't have to risk offending anyone. And I will tell you, Jesus Christ is offensive and controversial in this world. And I'm not sure what you do with a scripture like in Matthew where Jesus says, everyone therefore who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before a father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my father in heaven. I'm not sure what we do, do with that one. But lukewarm Christians tend to not share their faith. They also tend to do whatever it takes to alleviate guilt. And... I'll tell you, I have watched through the years, and some have taken this one to an art form. 
if you're feeling guilty about something, you do whatever you have to do. Why? Because you just want to get rid of the guilt. And so sometimes I'll see someone and and they'll be like, well, I, I go to church when I start feeling guilty. And so they come once in a while, slide in late, you know, take off early, seldom engage. Well, they might sing a little bit. They might give a little bit. But the bottom line is rarely connect. Why? Well, they come to church because it helps alleviate some of the guilt. Or, or how about this one? If they sin, you pray and you ask for forgiveness. Now, there is no intention of turning from the sin, but we pray and we lift it up because when we pray a little bit, then we feel like the guilt goes away and we can move on. All right? At Christmas time, we, we will take and, and we're spending lavish amounts of money. And I think it kind of gets in our face and we go, you know, th- this is extravagant, the way what I'm doing. I feel kind of guilty. And so what we do, because we've got to do something to get rid of the guilt, is I'll throw 25 bucks toward Angel Tree, support some cause. And what happens is we kind of pat ourselves on the back, and it makes us feel better because we did something. Why did we do it? Alleviate the guilt. But that's how lukewarm Christians operate. Lukewarm Christians tend to think more about this life on earth than eternity in heaven. In fact, this life is the focus. And because this life is what it's really about, it's about me. It's about my things. It's about my image. It's about my house, my car, my job, my money, my bank account, my 401k. It's all mine. And this is where my faith says... And if you want to watch someone freak out, if that has become the center of their world, let the economy take a downturn and you'll watch them panic. Why? Because you're messing with their way of life. You're messing with their standard of living. You're messing with what's really important. It's not about heaven. It's about here and now because that's the focus. You know, Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust, what? Destroy. And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. But lukewarm Christians, the here and now is the focus, not not the future, not eternity. I also find that lukewarm Christians tend to gauge their morality by comparing to other people. Now, you know how this goes, right? You go, oh, I'm not as bad as that person. I may not be perfect, but I'm sure not like... And you know what always amazes me? We always pick out someone worse, right? In that particular area. And I know as I say this, some of you are thinking, well, what's the big deal? I mean, what's so bad about comparing? You know, why is that a big deal? Well, well, Jesus said it's a huge deal. It really has to do with our focus. 
You know, Luke 18, it's a great story to read. I'd encourage you maybe this week to, to read it. But you've got two men that are in the temple. And they're, and they're praying. And one of the guys is a Pharisee. And he's looking around, probably a congregation kind of like ours. And he's praying, he's going, thank God I am not like many of these people. Robbers, adulterers, crooked tax collector. He singles him out, he sees him. He says, I I fast, I, I, I tithe, I'm good, I am glad I am not like that. And that's his prayer. The tax collector, he's praying. This guy's broken. He can't even lift his eyes to heaven. He's so ashamed. And he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, this man, he's talking about the tax collector. This man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus was pushing at who God recognizes. You know, you've got you to be careful when you compare. In fact, I always tell people, if you're going to compare... Compare yourself to the holiness of God. That should be your standard. That should be where, where we compare ourselves to. But lukewarm Christians, we, we play a little game. We compare ourselves and we just find people that are worse than us. Lukewarm Christians, I find, want to be saved. They want to be saved from the penalty of sin, but they don't want to change. You know, it's kind of like, oh God, please forgive me. See you. Thanks. You know, modern mentality is, I want enough of you, God, that I'm okay with you. I want enough of you to to keep me out of hell, but I don't want so much that you start changing me. And I want enough to make it to heaven, but not so much that I I stand out, that that I have to make adjustments in my life. I I don't want to be different. And friends, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure you find salvation that way. What's the least I can do to make it in? Lukewarm Christians tend to only turn to God when they're in a bind. And this one I I, I find terribly curious because the fact that we turn to God says that we believe God can make a difference. But we kind of treat God like a tool in the toolbox, so to speak. You know, we got a financial difficulty. So we head to the toolbox and we start digging through and we go, where's God? There you are. Marriage gets in trouble. We go to the toolbox. You know, someone gets sick. We get in a jam. Our, Our kids go south on us. We head to the toolbox And we turn to God because we believe God can take care of us. But as soon as it's over, and I've watched this happen over and over and over again. It is a sad commentary. But we watch God work. We let God work. And God does it over and over in some people's lives. And they get through the situation. And they take God and put him back in the toolbox. 
until the next crisis comes along. But that's how lukewarm Christians operate. You know, lukewarm Christians tend to to give, but they're not going to hinder their life or their standard of living in it. You know, we, we, we say God's important. We, we say that we're thankful to God for the sacrifice that he made, the fact that he sent his son to this world, that he allowed him to die on the cross for our sins, that, that God raised him from the dead to give us victory over sin and death. We may even say that we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And I think we understand on some level that eternity is the only thing that's going to last, that we understand in theory that we can't take anything with us, but the reality is lukewarm Christians live with a mine mentality. And friends, it shows. You know, we, we give the leftovers to God. We give as long as it doesn't hurt us, as long as it doesn't affect my standard of living And when we're faced with an opportunity to sacrifice for God, lukewarm Christians, they assess things very quickly and they come to the conclusion, it's just not worth it. That's the way of a lukewarm Christian. You know, David, he faced that that whole situation himself. He was talking to a guy, he's buying land from him and the guy goes, I'll just give you the land so you can give it to God. And David says this, he says, no, I want to pay you what they're worth. He's talking about the acreage. He says, I can't just take something from you and then offer it to the Lord, a sacrifice that costs me nothing. David says, that is no sacrifice. Lukewarm Christians, not willing to sacrifice. And to be honest, lukewarm Christians aren't much different than the world. The the fact is, lukewarm Christians look like the world. They talk like the world. They dress like the world. They educate and raise their children just, just like the world. Same morals. Have the same focus in life. Enjoy the same entertainment, unfortunately. And the fact is, we tend to live and look just like the world. We claim faith, but our faith has little claim in our lives. And the last one is lukewarm Christians want the benefit of what Christ has done without conforming to who he is. And friends, this is, this is at the base. This is getting to the heart of what Jesus was pressing. You know, give me, give me the good stuff. You know, give me the eternity. Give me heaven. You know, give me the abundant life. But I don't want to become like Jesus. I want to stay the same. And friends, when that happens, you end up believing in God and living like God doesn't exist. Lukewarm. God says, it makes me nauseous. And I, I want to throw up. And I'll be honest with you. I was sitting at my desk and I was hoping Christ would come again so I wouldn't even have to get up here and deliver this. Because this is no fun. But as I've been studying, and this one's been coming for a while, 
As I was studying particularly for this message, preparing, I, I realized that most of my Christian walk, God has been working in me on all the things I just shared with you. Moving me from lukewarm to hot. And I wish I could tell you that I have always moved willingly. You know, God says, kind of like you to go that way. And I go, okay, that's not true. At times, God has gutted me, literally, to help me make that transition. And I'll tell you, it's the hard way. It's the really hard way. And I can remember early in my ministry, there was a point where I realized that I was in full-time ministry, but I was a part-time follower of Jesus Christ. Luke warm. And I can remember that moment because it rocked me to the core. It brought me to my knees. It wasn't something I planned. I never imagined that I would end up that way. But friends, one morning I woke up, I looked in the mirror, and I was lukewarm. And some of you, even though you're not a pastor, you know what I'm talking about. You know, for, for some of you, you may have just realized it this morning. You know, somehow you became a, a full-time mom and a part-time follower of Jesus Christ. I, I mean, it's easy to do. You're chasing the kids. You've got to get them to practices. got to make sure they get their homework done. You've got to make sure the house is in order. And it consumes you. It takes you over. And although you didn't mean for it to happen, one morning you woke up and you went lukewarm. Some of you would say, you know, I'm, I'm full-time in business, you know. I've got my own business, or I'm doing this, I'm managing this or that. I've got, a, I've got a good, I've got a good job. And you've had success, but it's consumed you. You're using your God-given giftedness, and it brings some fulfillment. But one day, you woke up, And you're like, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe everything. But I'm a full-time business person and a part-time follower of Jesus Christ. Lukewarm. Some of you are students. And believe it or not, I remember going to school. I really do. And although it's a great time in your life, it's a tough time because you're trying to go to school. You're maybe working a job so you can get out of school without as much bills and stuff. Maybe maybe trying to play a sport, part of a club, sorority, whatever. And you're trying to do it all. And you wake up one day and you realize, I'm a full-time student and a part-time follower of Jesus Christ. And you just went lukewarm. When I read about the people of the city of Laodicea, friends, I I think about us. Because life was easy for them. And life's easy for us. We've got so much. We have so many opportunities to distract us around us. It is so easy in the United States 
to believe in God and to become lukewarm. That's just how it is in America. It just is. You want to see where the church is hot? You go to a place where things are not easy. You go to a place where life is a struggle. You go to a place where you will be executed for your faith. And in those places, if you say you're a Christian, you better mean it because you may die for it. It means something. But here, it's easy. It's easy. Faith is hard. Believing is easy. But faith is hard. It's easy to blend in. It's easy to say we believe and leave it at that. And and here's the thing that haunts me. Some of you are lukewarm. And you don't realize it. At least not yet. But this is what bothers me more. You know, as a leader, spiritual leader, how you live reflects how I lead. And some of you are lukewarm and you don't care. I've got enough of God. And as long as things are going well, as long as my health holds out, as long as the economy's good, I'd like to leave it at that. It's hard to be hot as a Christian when you have so much. And even in a slow economy that we're in right now, whatever you want to call it, recession two coming maybe, we are rich. We are rich. And I know as I say that, some of you are going, well, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Well, friends, how many of you came in a car today? All right. I didn't see anybody soaking wet, so I assumed we all came in cars, bus, whatever. We're here today, right? If that's true, you are filthy rich. 97%. Think about this. 97% of the world would look at you, no matter how poor you think you are, and would say, you are rich. You are rich. And the fact is, we want to be richer. Why? So we we wouldn't even need God at that point. And that's what Jesus is saying to, to the people at that church. He says, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need things. But you do not realize that you are what? Wretched. Ooh. Pitiful. Poor. Blind. Naked. I do not like this verse. It hurts. And it makes me ask, is there such a thing as a lukewarm Christian? Can can those two words go together, lukewarm and Christian? And when I read that verse, I don't think so. I mean, can can you hear Jesus saying, okay, guys, you're going to church. Okay, I, I know you believe, but you're lukewarm. He goes on, he says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. This sounds like, when I read that, it sounds like, He's talking to people 
that are not in. They're outside knocking. Or he's knocking, wanting you to come inside. He's talking to lukewarm Christians. He's saying, you don't know me. Because if you knew me, you couldn't be lukewarm. And here's what I want you to get. When you realize who Jesus Christ is, you absolutely cannot be lukewarm when you know him. Jesus is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the true vine. Scripture says he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bread of life. He's the good shepherd, the king of kings, the lord of lords. He will rule and judge over all nations. He will... decided to come to this world as a child to live a perfect life Jesus gave himself up freely for you and me he was beaten, he bled ultimately he died for you and he rose again so that you could have life, so that you could have victory over sin so that you could have forgiveness in your life and I believe when you grasp that amazing grace It changes you. You absolutely cannot stay the same. I mean, by his power, you've been freed. By his power, you've been forgiven. And all of a sudden, lukewarm is not an option. All of a sudden, you have to tell other people about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Why? Because you can't contain it. You can't keep it to yourself. You cannot continue to live a lifestyle that is selfish. It changes you when you know him. No longer concerned about what people think. You, You live to an audience of one. And get this, he's no longer just your savior. And that's a little selfish sometimes. No, he's now Lord of your life. He's king of kings in your life. You start living for him. You orientate your entire being around him. That's what. That's the shift that happens. Suddenly this world's not your home. And you realize it. You realize that the things of this world are going to be dust. They're going to fade away. They're going to burn up. They're going to rust. They're going to be gone. And I believe when your brain and your heart engage, you find yourself no longer willing to sell out to something you know not going to last. In fact, you start setting your mind on things above. You start living your life in light of eternity. Suddenly, it all shifts. And it's all about the things above. You find you become radically generous. And you look at your stuff, and you realize it's not even your stuff, it's God's. It's God's to use as God sees fit, and you start sacrificing. And when it comes to sin... You repent. You want to change. Not not because you're afraid or you don't want to have guilt in your life. Not because you're afraid God won't forgive you because you know that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. But you turn from sin because you hate the low life of sin. You, you want to be who God created you to be. You change because you know him and the thought of being lukewarm makes you sick. It just makes you sick. 
Now, here's my prayer. I pray as we're sitting here today, if we're looking and we're going, you know what? I'm, I'm lukewarm. I've got a lot, of, a lot of those things going on in my life. I pray you just be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. And that you'd walk out of here and, and make some changes that would ignite you, change you, move you from lukewarm to hot in your life. The other side of my prayer is if we're playing games with God. If you have settled in and you're okay with being lukewarm, my prayer is God will wreck you like he did in my life many times. Bring you to your knees, to a place where you go, I want to know you. Just that simple. God, we praise you today. God, I pray you would open our hearts and we'd just run for you. Everything in us, every passion, every breath. God, I pray we'd know everything in our life is yours. God, forgive us. Forgive us when we run cool. When okay is just good enough. God, I pray that um, when history is told of a group of people called Faith Fellowship, they'll say, that church, they run hot for their Lord. God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your faithfulness. I pray that we'd be faithful. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.